Beulah land. I'm longing for thee. How many can say amen to that? Thank you for that song. That's one of my favorite songs. Okay, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I have 10 minutes left. Think I can squeeze it in? It's a challenge. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse number 27. And we'll just read a few verses today. If you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, uh, that's wonderful. If you didn't, now there's one in front of you. Welcome you to use that one. It's the same version that I'll be reading out of the New King James. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity now to look at your word. Father, we stand in awe of this passage and of just the very fact that this is, this book is your holy, uh, infallible, inerrant, inspired, God-breathed word. Uh, We approach it this morning uh, on our knees. We approach it today asking, Father, that you would teach us. I pray today, Lord, the Holy Spirit would take this skeleton of thoughts that I have here this morning and uh, use it. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher today. And as we've already prayed once, I pray, Father, that you would just meet the needs of everybody here as as only you can. Lord, you can take the same message, the same words, and apply it to everybody's heart just exactly as they need it. So I pray you'd do that today. Teach us. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to say the things that need said. Protect me. Keep me from saying things I ought not. And uh, use this time. Lord, we commit it to you. We ask for you to do great and mighty things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We do stand before a passage of Scripture this morning that is one that is extremely uh, amazing. There is so much in this passage of Scripture. We could spend a lifetime looking at this. We could spend a whole series of messages on this. 
And uh, if we lived to be the age of Methuselah, we would never plumb the depths of it. This is just a tremendous passage of Scripture. And there are several wonderful things we could talk about this morning. For example, in verses 5 through 8, we have uh, one of the uh, very important passages in our New Testament, in the whole Bible. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That passage is one of the most concise statements you will find, I think, in the New Testament about the incarnation of Christ. It's usually referred to as the kenosis or the emptying of Christ because there is a Greek word in there that says that he emptied himself. It's a deep and marvelous and mind-bending and awe-inspiring passage of Scripture. But it's not our topic for this morning. There's another topic here we could look at. It's in verse number 9. Verse number 9 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Another wonderful passage of Scripture that we could spend all kinds of time on this morning, and, and maybe we should, considering the kind of things that are going on in our world right now. It's a good verse or a good passage to, to remind us that Jesus is the King. It's a good passage to remind us about the sovereignty of God in a time when right now it just seems like our whole world is going completely crazy. I mean, you've been reading the news, right? You've been following what's going on in our world today. We had a slide up on the, on the overhead. I hope you saw it. It said, pray for Japan. And I hope when you saw that you shot up a quick prayer for those people. What an astonishing thing. I had a conversation with somebody just the other day about this very thing. And the very first thought that came out of this person's mind, now this person is not a believer. Now this person is a global warming believer, though. And the very first thing out of his mind was, out of his mouth was, well, we're never going to learn. And his thought was that we had somehow caused this astonishing earthquake that nearly wiped out the entire island of Japan. And, of course, we know that's not true, don't we? The truth is, it reminds us, doesn't it, that God remains in control and we remain helpless before the sovereignty of God. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. In reading about the Middle East, the Middle East, despite decades of diplomatic efforts and non-diplomatic efforts, despite all of that, it is still in complete anarchy over there. And I think when I look at that, it just reminds me that God has a plan. The Bible has predicted it. It's progressing exactly as he has said. God is still in control. And so when I read about these, these wonderful verses, when I read that God has exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, I am reminded that he is king and God is sovereign and God is continuing to work out his plan. Very soon uh, it's going to be demonstrated when everybody in this room, everybody in this world, everyone who has ever lived is going to bow before the king. But that's not our subject for today either. Our subject for today is in verses 2 through 4. Look at that with me. Verses 2 through 4. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the passage I would like for us to concentrate on 
this morning. You see, we've been spending some time this year. We haven't really developed a whole lot yet, but we're trying to get into it. Spending some time on a theme. And that theme we have been calling Roots Down, Fruit Up. And that is based upon Isaiah chapter 37 and verse number 31, where we read that the remnant who have escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And we're just, we just plucked that last phrase out of that verse to kind of guide our thinking this year. And what we're trying to talk about is this. We need to get deeper. We need to dig deeper in our relationship with God and in our relationships with each other. And if we'll do that, God is going to help us to bear fruit. Roots down, fruit up. Roots down, fruit up. Everybody should have that memorized by now. You should be able to say it in your sleep. Roots down, fruit up. And so we're trying to figure out what does that mean? How do we, how do we dig deeper into our relationships with God and with each other? deepening of relationships. Well, I think this passage might help us a little bit in the latter part of that. I think this passage might help us to think about how we can build deeper relationships or dig deeper in our relationships with each other, you and me, our church. And there's a few suggestions I see here. Now, I have to tell you this morning, this this is one of those sermons that I just, I look at my outline and I think, ugh. This doesn't make any sense. This is going to be like a stream of consciousness this morning. So I hope and pray, and you need to pray with me, that the Lord will take this mumbo-jumbo that I have up here and make it make sense to you. Because I do believe there's a message here, if I can figure out how to make it make sense. But uh, let me just kind of blurt it out and you see what you think. Uh, A few suggestions about how we have deeper relationships. And let's look first of all at verse number two. And let me suggest to you that a deeper relationship with each other is going to require a single mind. A single mind. Verse number two says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Like-minded. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these and just kind of give you some definitions, some technical things, and then we'll make some application. But being like-minded means literally to think or to hold an opinion. It means to have a thought or an attitude, to be minded or disposed. Uh, MacArthur in his study Bible says it basically means to think the same way. And we've talked about this before. We've talked about how important it is. If we're going to build deeper relationships with one another, we need to have a single mind. It's mentioned all throughout the Bible. He mentions it over in chapter 3 of this book of Philippians. He said, Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. We see it other places. In Philippians chapter 4, at the very end of this book, he says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So he's mentioned it several times in the book, and then he actually gives an example. He says, no, I happen to know there's a couple of you in this little church at Philippi that aren't quite of the same mind. I implore you to be of the same mind. In Romans chapter 15, uh, Paul said, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. In 1 Corinthians 1:10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. And in the same judgment. 2 Corinthians 13.10 Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And so deeper relationships with each other, number one, requires a single mind. Number two, also, we're still in verse number two. I think deeper relationships with each other requires a single heart. A single mind 
a single heart. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, the same love. That's the Greek word agape. We've talked about that before. It's one of several Greek words in, uh, in the Greek uh, New Testament, which are translated by the single English word love in our English Bible. Agape is a uniquely Christian word. In the King James Bible, it's often translated charity. It's a love that uh, gives and expects nothing in return. It's a love that's best demonstrated by the self-sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ. One man said believers are to love others in the body of Christ equally, not because they are all equally attractive, but by showing the same kind of sacrificial loving service to all that was shown to them by Christ. A single heart. John chapter 15. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Romans chapter 12, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. So deeper relationships, a single mind, single heart. Also in verse number 2, I think deeper relationships with each other requires a single soul. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That phrase, of one accord, very interesting phrase. It means harmonious. It means united in spirit. One source I consulted said it may also be translated uh, united in spirit and perhaps is a term specially coined by Paul. It literally means one-souled, one-souled. And describes people who are knit together in harmony, having the same desires, passions, and ambitions. I just like the picture. Matter of fact, as I studied this, that was the one word that really jumped out at me this morning. One soul. Psalms chapter 133 and verse number 1 said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And we see pictures of it all throughout the, uh, the early life of the church in Acts as we have been in our study in Acts. Back in chapter 4, we saw that the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 2, Paul prayed that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. And I like that phrase too. It pictures kind of the same thing, knit together, one soul. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 46, They continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. One accord, one soul, knit together. Oh, and by the way, that last little phrase there, that last couple verses, Acts chapter 2, I think is a wonderful example of the reality of our roots down, fruit up idea. They were... They were digging deeper in their relationships with with each other. They were putting roots down. And God added daily to the church. They bore fruit. So, deeper relationships with each other. A uh, single mind, a single heart, a single soul. Again, in verse number 2, I would suggest it requires a single focus. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, single mind. Having the same love, single heart. Being of one accord, a single soul. Of one mind, single Focus. You say, well, that's the same thing I just saw a minute ago. That's eh, just slightly a little different, a little different grammar there, slightly different. Uh, basically, it's, uh, it does mean single-mindedness just as before, but a little bit different. One, uh, MacArthur in his uh, study Bible says this could be translated alternatively as intent on one purpose. One purpose. And so I think it's talking about our focus. Our focus. We all are 
go in the same direction, focused in the same direction. So a deeper relationship with each other means a single mind, a single heart, a single soul, a single focus. But that's not all it means. Look at verse number 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. I would suggest in addition to those four things, a deeper relationship with each other is also going to require the banishment of self. This verse is hard. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, verse 3. That's hard. It's hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for most of us. That word literally means intrigue or faction or contentiousness or strife. It denoted a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. That was one way it was used. It came to be used of party squabbles. It, it referred to the jockeying for position and the intriguing for place and power. It meant selfish ambition. It meant the ambition which has no conception of service and whose only aims are profit and power. It sounds like something we would see in Washington, D.C., doesn't it? It sounds like something we would hear about in the halls of our state houses, but it certainly doesn't sound like something we ought to hear about in the church. That's what it's saying. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. We ought not to have that. We ought not to have factious intrigue. We ought not to have self-seeking in this body of Christ or in any. Gordon MacDonald is an author. Some of you may have read some of his stuff. In Leadership Journal, he wrote an article called An Evening to Remember, and he was describing a time when he was a young seminary student, and uh, nobody knew him at that time. He was, well, I, think, I think he says he was 24. And uh, he met Billy Graham for the first time. Um, Billy Graham was in the height of his fame at the time. But here's what he said. He said, when I was a seminary student, I had my first chance to meet Mr. Graham personally. Billy, I'd like you to meet Gordon MacDonald, my introducer said. I was a 24-year-old, scrawny, somewhat unpromising kid struggling to pass basic seminary courses, and I was one of many being introduced to Billy Graham. What do I remember about that moment? that he fixed his piercing eyes upon me, extended his hand and said, Mr. McDonald, it's an honor to meet you. Mr. McDonald. He addressed me as if I were a peer or someone superior to him. Oh, the dignity of the moment for me. For the space of about, I'm guessing, ten seconds, he connected with me and it seemed as if the two of us were the only two people in the room. For weeks... I bathed in that awesome moment in which this extraordinary man poured value into me. Such a tiny encounter, such an unforgettable moment, and such an example of, the, of, of what we ought to be and what this says we ought not to be. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Billy Graham wasn't interested in exalting himself in that case, and none of us should be. And there's another word here that's similar. Verse number 3 also, it says conceit. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And that word means empty glorying or vain glory or personal vanity. It refers to the pursuit of personal glory, which is the motivation for or selfish ambition. Let it never be in our midst. Warren Wiersbe said there can be no joy in the life of the Christian who puts himself above others. So deeper relationships with each other require the banishment of self. And then one last one in verse number three. Deeper relationships with each other requires an adjustment to our sights. An adjustment to our sights. Verse 3. Uh, uh, I'm confused by my own outline. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Lowliness of mind there is talking about humility. The man or woman exhibiting lowliness of mind realizes that without God they are nothing. And everything that they have and everything that they could ever accomplish comes totally from dependence upon God. All we have and all we are is from Him. That's lowliness of mind. Verse number 3 says, Let each esteem others better than themselves. Instead of fixing our eyes on those points in which we excel, we fix them on those in which our neighbor excels. That's humility. MacArthur even says that this verse is the basic definition of true humility. Last night at the game night, I saw somebody walking around. I think it might have been Charlie. Walking around with a t-shirt on and said, it's not about me. Was that you? Yeah. I like that t-shirt. And that's basically what it's saying. It's not about me. Let each of us esteem others better than themselves. And then verse number four, let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And that's where I got the idea here for this, this, this point. Deeper relationships uh, with others require an adjustment to our sights. That particular phrase there, look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Look out is the word scopeo, from which we get our English word scope, as in microscope, as in telescope, as in rifle scope. And so it's talking about our aim. Take aim. Adjust your sights. Joe Posnansky wrote a letter and wrote an article in Sports Illustrated back in August. It was called Made to Last, this article. Let me read it to you. He said, most people haven't heard of the pro football running back named Tony Richardson. Anybody heard of him? Tony Richardson? Josh, you heard of Tony Richardson? Oh, Josh has. Most people haven't heard of him anyway. That's because his primary role involves helping other running backs succeed. He blocks so they can run. Over the span of 17 pro football seasons, teams have often paired Richardson with some of the best backs in pro football. In 2001, he was slated to be the main running back, but instead he went to his teammate, Priest Holmes, and told him, it's time for me to step out of the way. You need to be getting the ball, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you. Holmes went on to lead the league in rushing, but Richardson never grew envious or resentful. As Holmes would report, he used to call me up and say, I just saw you on SportsCenter. He was happier for me than I was for myself. All of the running backs that Richardson helped succeed contend that his influence went beyond blocking for them. He would constantly talk to them through the game, advising, pushing, encouraging, and inspiring them. In a recent interview, Tony Richardson said, I can't explain it, but it just means more to me to help someone else achieve glory. There's something about it that feels right to me. He's got his sights the way we're supposed to have our sights. And so deeper relationships with each other require adjustment to the sites. And so, so there you have it. That's, that's what I think this passage is teaching us here today. I think if we want to build deeper relationships with, un, with one another, then our Friendship Bible Church team is going to have to work on having a single mind and a single heart and a single soul. I think we're going to have to banish from our midst every vestige of selfishness and selfish ambition, and we're going to have to set our sights not on our own interests, but on the interests of others, always endeavor. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Can we agree to do that? And you're all looking at me with glazed over eyes, because if you're like me, you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, well, that's just wonderful. That's all, that's all so much technical stuff, and that's all. That's all that's, but what does that look like? What does that look like? I always ask myself this question anymore. As I read something like that in my Bible, and I say, okay, fine. The Holy Spirit is telling us that we need to have this single heart and single mind and single soul and single foot. That's cool. What's it look like? How would our church look if that were true? 
And so I, mean, I, I tried to figure that out, and I tried to come up with some things for that. I'm just going to real quickly mention some things, because I think that if we tried to describe that in a word that we could apply to ourselves, it would be the word together. Together. He might not agree with me on that, but I, I think it would. How would it look? I think it would be the word together. I think we would be praying together. Things like our midweek prayer meeting would be busting at the seams. And actually it is getting closer and closer to busting at the seams. I think that's one of the reasons our church is growing, is because midweek prayer meeting is growing and people are praying. In our daily bread in April of 20, uh, April 24th, I didn't write down the year, so I don't know why I even put the date there. But uh, there was an article in Our Daily Bread about Charles Spurgeon. And I've told you this before, but I, I wanted to read you the exact story. It says that five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, so they went to hear the famed Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church? They were not particularly interested, for it was a hot day in July, but they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened, and their guide whispered, This is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. He was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he never thought that it was his preaching or anything about him. He thought it was that that caused the power. That that built the church. We would be praying together. Praying together as a church. Alistair Begg is one of my favorite preachers in the area. And Alistair Begg said one time, and I wrote it down, he said, for a meaningful preaching event, you need an expectant praying preacher and you need an expectant praying congregation. We'd be praying together. I think we'd be working together. And I have watched with great joy as, as, as some of the ministries in our church have been taken off. All by themselves. Especially the ladies' ministries. Guys, we've got to get our act together. We, uh, we're getting eclipsed by the ladies in our church. And I don't know about you, but I'm too competitive to allow that to continue. We're going to have to do something about that. But the ladies' ministries are just blossoming and growing. And if you look at the women, they just seem to actually enjoy, <coughs> actually enjoy working together, one with another. This coming Monday, some of them are going to serve together as they provide a meal for the Warner family. I stood in the Warner's house the other day. I, I hadn't been there two minutes. I mean, I got the call from the hospice that Sam had died and gone on to be with the Lord. And I went to my boss and I said, i got to leave. And he let me go. And I went tearing down the road 100 miles an hour. I get to Warner. <laughs> I had not been there for two minutes. And in the door walked Mary, already from the caregiver's ministry, providing food. And, and what a blessing. What a blessing. It is reaching people. And so those are examples of what it looks like, I think, working together. I think we'd be playing together. I don't know about you, but I had a blast last night, and I didn't hardly play a single game. Just being with God's people, watching them laugh, watching them have a good time. I did play one game, and I think I lost. Softball's coming up. Golf is coming up. Campfire fellowships are coming up. We're getting into that time of year when we get a chance to let our hair down. We get a chance to get to know each other in uh, some way other than just in our suit and tie on the Lord's Day, playing together. We would be rejoicing together, sharing in each other's joys. I don't know, have you ever been driving down the road and you heard something funny on the radio and you just started laughing out loud? Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me because I'm an idiot. I laugh to myself all the time. I also talk to myself driving down the road. 
Hopefully none of you will ever see that. But nonetheless, one thing I've noticed is whenever that happens to me and I start laughing is I, 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 I felt it doesn't feel quite the same. It's not quite the same when you're laughing at a joke and you're all by yourself, is it? You want somebody else to share it with. We can rejoice together. We can have a good time together. Maybe it's a restatement of the previous one where we're playing together. I don't know. But I think we need to be sharing in the joys and the successes and the happiness that we all have. We should be rejoicing together. And we should be weeping together as well. I keep mentioning Sam because of the fact that uh, that's so close to what's going on right now. It just happened this week. But our brother Sam went home to be with the Lord this week and is weeping in that house. Our brothers and our sisters. As I listened to Paul sing this morning, I thought about how such a short period of time ago he was in a similar situation. Weeping. And when those times come, all of us should be sharing in it together. One with the other. And so I guess all of these things, we could sum up this whole thing. It's the word together. We would be together if we want to know what it means uh, to live out this text that we've been talking about this morning. Together. We need the group. We need the community. We need each other. There is not a one of you. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how self-sufficient you might think you are. There is not a one of you that can go it alone. I can't go it alone. None of us can. And yet, in our, in our culture, we're drifting further and further apart from community and more and more into being just off by ourselves. God said, one of the very first parts of the book, he said it's not good for the man to be alone. I found some statistics this week. Did you know that the average American watches TV for nearly 30 hours per week? I wonder if the average American reads their Bible for anywhere close to that. 30 hours a week. That's 65 days of nonstop TV watching every year. By the time they graduate from high school, students will have viewed 360,000 commercials. The average 65-year-old will have watched 2 million commercials. Wow. This is the one that got to me. This one really convicted me. The average man, this is for us guys, it didn't talk about women, it's talking about males. The average man spends 11 years of his life watching TV. 11 years. And I fit right in there. I was stunned when I read that. And that's just talking about television. What about playing around with our iPhones and our iPads and and surfing the Internet and all those other things that we do. Good night. All of those things are are, are there to make us alone and to take us away from the community and to take us away from each other. I think the challenge for us this morning is that we need to learn to be together. We need to learn to pray together and learn together and work together and pray together and rejoice together and weep together. We need to be together. And I think if we do that, we'll find ourselves living in this Philippians chapter 2. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. I'll just quote from this and then I'll be done. In this book, he talked about a fellow by the name of Christopher Langan. Never heard of him before, but apparently Christopher Langan was a genius. and He had an IQ, a staggering IQ of 195. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, Albert Einstein's IQ was 150. So Langan was ridiculous. He was insanely genius. During high school, Langan could apparently ace any foreign language test by skimming the textbook for two minutes. That's pretty amazing. He got a perfect score on his SAT, even though he fell asleep halfway through the lesson, through the test. Perfect score. 
And yet, Langan failed to use his exceptional gifts and ended up working on a horse farm in rural Missouri. And according to Gladwell, this author, he said Langan never had a community to help him capitalize on his gifts. And he summarized his whole point about the story of Langan with a sentence. He said, Langan had to make his way alone, and no one. Not rock stars, not professional athletes, not software billionaires, and not even geniuses ever makes it alone. And so that's our challenge. We want to deepen our relationships. Do we want to dig deeper? Do we want to have deeper relationships with each other? We need to be together. We need to be together. We need to value others more than ourselves. And we need to value togetherness more than solitude. Our text says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Eugene Peterson paraphrased that this way, and I just, I just want to share this as my last point. Here's how he paraphrased that passage. He said, agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. If we learn that, we'll be putting roots down. And I believe we will bear fruit up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage. Lord, some rambling thoughts here this morning. I hope that the Holy Spirit takes these and applies them to people's hearts. Lord, I know that I need some of these things. Help me, Lord God, to value others more than myself. Help me, Lord God, to value being together with God's people more than being alone. Help me, Father, to learn from these things. And I pray all of us would too. I do not know what specific application there might be in the, in the hearts of these, your people, but Father, I do pray you'd apply it now. And I pray if there are specific needs, you'd meet them. We didn't talk about salvation this morning, Father, but I pray even now if there's one here who doesn't know you as Savior, that if nothing else, they have had a desire awakened within them are wondering about it, and they'd want to talk about it. And I pray, Father, that as we sing, they'd step out and they'd say, I want to know how I can know for certain I'm on my way to heaven. Uh, but, Lord, this was mostly for the believers here today. And so I pray if there are needs that need to be talked about, prayed about, that as we sing, your people would step out and make things right with you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.